to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this is The Friedman Report. You know, it used to be when a candidate was running for public office, he would explain what he stood for. Was he for engaging in war with an enemy country? Was he for raising economic standards of the poor? Was he going to raise taxes or lower them? Would he build schools and roads? What did he stand for? But this year, in 2020, a candidate doesn't have to do that anymore. Or so it seems. For example, ask Joe Biden about his plans for taxes. And he will tell you that he will only raise taxes on people earning more than $400,000 a year. He says that over and over again. But he also says that on his first day in the Oval Office, he will cancel the Trump tax restructuring that lowered taxes so much that the average American family saw a raise of several thousand dollars in their take-home pay. So how is canceling Trump's tax benefits not raising taxes on people who earn less than $400,000. How is that not hurting the average American? I don't get it. Ask him where he stands on packing the Supreme Court. He'll refuse to answer altogether. And when he was asked whether the American people had a right to know where he stands, he said no. And then he backtracked on that too. Of course they have a right to know, only not now, soon, before the election. Only election is over and we still don't know. Or ask him where he stands on defunding the police, something a significant part of his party wants to do. What does Joe say? He waffles. In one interview, he said funding should be absolutely redirected from the police. And yet, he also says he doesn't support defunding the police. And yet he called the police the enemy. So where in the world does he stand? There are several candidates who really didn't even campaign. They're all Democrats. Joe Biden was one of them. He mostly stayed in his compound in Delaware, and he only came out once in a while to let us know he was still in the race. But before an actual election, I wonder why his handlers in the DNC thought this was a good idea. You know, when Hillary Clinton was running against Donald Trump in 2016, she also avoided a heavy campaign schedule, and she ignored some key states. And analysts at the time attributed her eventual loss to Donald Trump to her apparent disregard for these states. Now in 2020, Joe Biden did just about the same thing, only he was even worse. He stayed in his home and had occasional interviews which seemed to me to be highly scripted, and rarely made an appearance. And when he did make an appearance, only a few hundred people showed up. Then in the last weeks before the election, he held a few highly publicized so-called rallies to which his fans came in cars, and they stayed in cars, and he spoke, or actually he shouted at them, but the most he ever drew were about 100 cars or so. Compare that 
and I don't really have to tell you this because you already know, Trump's rallies drew tens of thousands of people every time. And he held many rallies in the last weeks of the campaign and traveled all over the country to reach out to American voters. And he drew tens of thousands to every single one of them. And consider this. In the last two days before the election, the president held five rallies in Michigan, Idaho, North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. That was on Sunday. And then on Monday, he appeared in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, again in North Carolina, and in two cities in Michigan. This is a guy who just recovered from this China virus. It was amazing. Which brings me to the real point. How in the world could Joe Biden have gotten more votes than Donald Trump? How is it even possible? Americans aren't stupid. And this, my friends, is not rocket science. How is it possible that Trump's following, the people who were willing to weather rain and cold and burning sun for hours and hours for the chance to support their president, his supporters numbered in the tens of thousands at every single rally, compared to Biden's scant showing of support, and yet he was able to score a significant victory at the polls. It doesn't make any sense. It isn't logical. It isn't even statistically possible. And just this past weekend, now that the campaigns are over, now that the election is over, disputed but over, and just this past weekend, tens of thousands of people, we don't know how many because the press will not report it, but tens of thousands of Americans poured into the streets of Washington, D.C., and the streets were full to overflowing with Trump supporters from almost every state in the Union, including Alaska. And their enthusiasm was enormous. And by the way, while the left-wing media misrepresented the crowd and blamed them for attacks on counter-protesters, the fact is that this huge, enormous crowd was astonishingly peaceful. And they only got involved in violence when they were attacked by anti-Trump protesters. Well, not protesters, criminals. Because they violently assaulted the people, not when there was a big crowd, but when most of the people had gone home and a few stragglers stopped for a meal or decided to stroll down the streets after the march. These people that the media called counter-protesters were criminals. They were also cowards. They waited till almost everybody went home before they began attacking the stragglers viciously. And it wasn't by other pro-Trump demonstrators. It was by the left, by Antifa and Black Lives Matter and others. In fact, this huge, monstrous crowd was astonishingly peaceful. And when they left, they took their trash with them. They didn't leave the city in a mess with damage and destruction all around. That, my friends, is one of the differences between the right and the left. One anchor on an ABC affiliate described it this way. 
This is what she's had to say about what went on after the demonstration was largely over and the crowd began to thin out. She said, and I quote, pro-Trump demonstrators clashed with counter-demonstrators and tore down signs in a violent confrontation. This happened one week after Joe Biden emerged as the president-elect. The rally was held in support of a president who refused to concede an election he lost, unquote. The anchor went on to talk about the, quote, baseless claims about widespread voter fraud, unquote. She said that Trump tweeted falsely, falsely, that Biden won because the election was rigged. It was infuriating. I could hardly listen to it. It was so full of lies and misstatements. That's the kind of news reporting that we have come to expect from the mainstream liberal media. It's exactly what the president calls it, fake news. It's plain and simple, misuse of the microphone to present misinformation, to mislead the American public, and the last thing it is, the very last thing it is, is news. So let's talk about fraud. They say it doesn't exist. They say that the claims of fraud are, quote, baseless, unquote. But here's the reality. Because from everything I have learned so far about what went on before, during, and after the election, it is very clear to me that it wasn't just the mainstream press that was perpetrating fraud. In this 2020 election, the fraud was rampant, deliberate, and extremely well-planned and funded. So nobody won the election, not Biden, not Trump, not yet, because all the votes have not even been counted yet. And millions of votes still have to be recounted. And in case someone should jump out of an Uber and ask you, there is a great deal of good, solid evidence that fraud was indeed committed. Fraud on a massive scale in not just one, but in several states, where a number of people have now given sworn statements about what they witnessed. Let's start with the mail-in ballots. This was a Democrat ploy from the beginning, and they were ready for a wholesale flood of mail-in ballots, which went to as many people as possible, whether or not they were eligible to vote, and whether or not they were dead or alive. There was no proof of who they were. They just filled out the ballots. Some people just filled out the name and left the address blank, but voted mostly for Biden. Many ballots only had one candidate checked, Joe Biden, and the rest of the candidates on the list, on the ballot, were left blank. So no signature or identity verification was required. And that was just the beginning. On election night, when it looked like Trump was going to win, the vote counting was stopped in some Democrat states. And when it was restarted several hours later, the tide miraculously turned. In Detroit, Michigan, for example, at four in the morning on November 4th, when the ballot counters were just closing up, three vehicles pulled up to the building and unloaded more ballots that had 
mysteriously appeared eight hours after the polls had officially closed. They had more than 130,000 more ballots, mail-in ballots, and every single one of them, more than 130,000 of them, had only one candidate marked. Not one vote for senator or congressman or even dog catcher. The only candidate on more than 130,000 ballots was Joe Biden. Nothing suspicious there, don't you think? And that's the trouble with mail-in ballots, or one of them, because they make fraud so easy. And guess what? In Georgia, where a critical Senate race is now facing a runoff in January, mail-in ballots are already being sent out. Now keep in mind that every state has a mail-in voting system of some kind already in place. It's called absentee ballot voting. And it's for people who are ill or disabled or just can't make it to the polls for one reason or another and who will be away from home at the time of the election. And this method is okay because in an absentee ballot system, first the voter has to request the absentee ballot. It's not just sent to everyone whether they request it or not. The voter has to prove his or her identity and then has to sign the envelope that his ballot goes into. And the signature has to match more or less the one on record. This method has been in use for years and is generally thought to be very safe. Now in some states, request forms for ballots are in fact actually sent to every registered voter. But these are request forms, not ballots. The voter has to send them back with a whole lot of identifying information that confirms that this person is, in fact, the right person. And it has to be returned by a certain date. But when ballots are sent wholesale through the mail to everyone, regardless of eligibility, the possibility of fraud is enormous. And that's what we saw this year. It's ludicrous that some state officials have said that there was virtually no sign of voter fraud. Now, for example, in Nevada, which participated in the wholesale mail-in ballot scheme, during its primary races this year, the largest county in the state, which contains Las Vegas, sent out more than 200,000 mail-in primary ballots to the wrong addresses. And in New York City, in the primaries, 84,000 mail-in presidential ballots were disqualified. We all knew way in advance that large-scale mail-in ballots would be a recipe for fraud. But many states, and you won't be surprised to know that they were mostly Democrat states, they put mail-in ballot systems in place before the November elections. And these were the states that have been most accused of voter fraud. So let's get into that for a bit. On this past Sunday morning, the weekly show on the Fox Business News Sunday Morning Futures with Maria Bartiromo. One of her guests was former federal prosecutor and attorney for General Michael Flynn, Sidney Powell. She's now representing the Trump campaign alongside the president's own attorney, Rudy Giuliani. And here's what she had to say. Quote, We're getting ready to overturn election results in multiple states. Unquote. 
And while she refused to give specific details, she said that she already has enough evidence of election fraud to justify a widespread criminal investigation. I don't make comments without having evidence to back it up. Unquote. Now, we're not finished with this story, not by a long shot. The mainstream press make us look like a bunch of bad sports, and they say that the claims of fraud are baseless and false. Just the behavior of a pack of losers. This coming from the very people who have been trying to tear down the Trump presidency in any way possible since before his election in 2016. But the fraud is real, and the damage it could do to this country is enormous. So we still have a lot to talk about. But it's time for a short break, and when I come back, I'm going to explain a bit about the system that created such a massive fraud on the American voting system that it is likely to be the biggest scandal in American history. So don't go away. You don't want to miss this. My fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. And like us, we're pretty sure you're not happy about any of it. But this is the America we now find ourselves in. AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world, featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Now, we have all heard by now about Dominion Voting Systems. That's the company that's been accused of tampering with votes during the 2020 presidential election. And hiding behind Dominion is another company, Smartmatic which is the software that can actually flip the votes during an election. We'll get back to that in a minute, but first I want to tell you about another company, a company called GEMS, GEMS Election Management Company, which you may not have heard of. Now, this company counts approximately 25% of all the votes cast in the United States, and it does a lot more than just count. GEMS Software embeds in every application of its software a feature which applies something known as a fractional vote. 
That's vote manipulation, which can be used invisibly to radically change the outcome of an election. Here's the way it works. It's roughly this. It presets percentages to the votes cast in order to redistribute votes. For example, it weights votes to equal fractional values. Not one vote for each voter, but less than one for some, or more than one for others, meaning fractions of votes, depending on the desired outcome. So, for example, a Democrat vote might equal one or one and a half votes, while a Republican vote might equal one half or three quarters of a vote. And this can be applied broadly to a total voting population or narrowly to neighborhoods or population cutouts. It can be applied to demographics, to the black population or the Hispanic population. This process, this algorithm, effectively destroys the long-respected concept of one person, one vote. This is tampering at its worst, and because it is so cleverly hidden, even election observers in the same room as the counting, who are watching the computers, they can't detect it. It's also not easily detected by auditors, and it can be deployed across a large geographical area in less than a minute. To say that this is shocking is an understatement. To know that such a system is not only being used in so many states, but that it represents systemic fraud in our most sacred institution, free election, and has undoubtedly altered the results of millions of votes in the 2020 election. That's more than shocking, because it has marginalized millions of voters and taken away their constitutionally guaranteed right to participate freely and fairly in the selection of our government. It is appalling. Now, GEMS operates under different trade names, and at least one of them you have already heard of, Dominion Voting Systems. That's the company whose name keeps popping up in any discussion of voting fraud in the 2020 elections. Now, during those elections, this system was used statewide in eight states and in counties in 20 other states. I could read you the list so that you could see if your state was affected, but the list is long and I only have limited time. So if you want the list, send me an email at ilana at freedmanreport.com and I'll send it to you with some additional background information and a link to a study that was begun this year on the systemic manipulation of votes. Now, getting back to the subject at hand, I'm no computer expert, and I don't know how votes were switched by Dominion's algorithms, and in fact, I barely know what an algorithm is. But I can tell you with some certainty that this is exactly what happened. Votes were switched. Votes were weighted to have a greater or lesser value according to the desired outcome. And here's an interesting thing. Early on Tuesday evening, as the polls were closing and the vote tallies were coming in, President Trump was ahead of Joe Biden by nearly 700,000 votes. It was an insurmountable lead, or so we thought. And yet, by the end of the vote counting, Biden had won 2 million of the 2.5 million mail-in ballots. 
And here's something else. Over the past weeks, a group of IT analysts studied the election vote data, and they found millions of votes that had been cast for Donald Trump that had either been transferred to Joe Biden or lost completely using the Dominion and Smartmatic systems. In Milwaukee, for example, they found 30,000 votes were switched from Trump to Biden. In a group of counties in Michigan, 138,000 Trump votes miraculously became 138,000 votes for Biden. In Kent County, Michigan alone, 20,000 votes were switched that way. And one of the interesting features of these anomalies is that the numbers are statistically impossible in the real world. But the Democrats, when they admit it at all, call the anomalies glitches. Of course, they're not glitches at all. A glitch is defined as a small malfunction. But there's nothing small about this. The numbers were products of the algorithms that were designed to bring about such anomalies in the hope that they would bring about the desired outcome and not be discovered. But the suspicions have been around for some time, and the search has grown more intense with each new election and the growing signs of massive voter fraud. Now, back in 2016, integrity activist Sharon Maroney in Illinois worked on research that acquired enough evidence to bring Dominion voting systems to an administrative hearing at the Illinois State Board of Elections on August 26, 2016. In the course of that hearing, the Vice President of Engineering for Dominion, Dr. Eric Coomer, he was asked whether it was possible to bypass the election system software and go directly to the tables that manage the actual data that is acquired by the voting systems that are running the elections in Illinois. His answer, his answer was yes, if they have access, unquote. So it was possible for someone with access to bypass the election system software in order to potentially manipulate the vote without risking detection. So the next question was, who has access to these data tables? Dr. Coomer answered, quote, vendors, election officials, and others who need to be granted access. Well, that's pretty vague, but wow, that's just about anyone involved in the elections or with the sale and maintenance of the software. Coomer's admitted that they had fractionized code and that you could change the software without logging into the administrative logon page. And it could be done, pretty much, without fear of detection, until now. But if you figure that the weighting of votes by making some votes worth less than others completely cancels the whole concept of one person, one vote, and it also cancels the concept of free and fair elections. And by the way, before Dr. Coomer became Vice President of Engineering at Dominion, he was Senior Information Services Manager of Smartmatic. That's another company that's involved today in the 2020 voting fraud scandal. That's the firm that provides the software that switches the ballots from red to blue. We just talked about that. And that leads me to the next problem with the so-called dependable voting systems that now control the outcome of our elections. 
This has to do with the problems that came from the Dominion voting systems and Smartmatic software. Did you know that the software that these companies have been providing to America were designed for the Venezuelan elections? No corruption there, but it's a fact. The U.S. Smartmatic voting system was born to serve in Venezuela, and it was first used by dictator Hugo Chavez, whose government was actually co-owner of the company. According to the CIA, the software was designed to ensure Chavez's election. It was used in Venezuela's 2014 elections and then again in the 2017 elections. This is just a thought, but it seems certainly plausible that the dark situation that today finds Venezuela's people starving and without medicine or hope would not exist if Smartmatic had not tampered with the elections. Nevertheless, here in America, Smartmatic has been deployed to become a major player in what appears to be another example of massive election fraud. What do you suppose are the chances that in 2020, Smartmatic software did not switch millions of votes from Republican Trump to Democrat Joe Biden? I think with what is coming out, all of the intelligence more every day about the voter fraud, the chances are pretty slim. So Smartmatic, switching Republican votes to Democrat votes. I know I've been hearing complaints from people who claim that they voted for a Republican candidate and right before their eyes, their vote switched from a Republican candidate to the Democrat candidate. I've actually been hearing about this problem for years, so it's not new. But the cases 15 years ago were isolated and attributed to occasional computer glitches. This year, the reports are legion, and they are not going away. Today, the reports of rampant voter fraud is terrible news for anyone who still believes in America and in fair and honest elections, because it means that fraud is rampant and systematic, so sophisticated that it is very difficult to detect, and it is protected by the corruption of Democrat politicians who don't seem to care if the system is corrupt so long as their candidates are elected. And that is where we are today. We've already talked about the dumping of Biden ballots in the wee hours of the morning on November 4th, and we haven't even mentioned the barring of Republican poll watchers from the ballot counting rooms in the Democrat cities. No doubt there are even more avenues of fraud that we haven't even looked at. But overall, the evidence is damning. And so the president's legal team has been hard at work trying to stop this fraud and cancel the illegitimate votes. Sidney Powell, who along with Rudy Giuliani is leading the charge, said on Fox Business with host Lou Dobbs, quote, we have so much evidence, I feel like it's coming in through a fire hose, unquote. And if you want more proof, Sidney Powell explained it. Quote, they can stick a thumb drive in the voting machine. They can upload software to it, even from the internet, from Germany or Venezuela even. They can shift votes in real time. And they can remote access anything. We've identified mathematically the exact algorithm they've used and planned to use from the beginning, unquote. So are we to believe Sidney Powell and her assertions that the amount of evidence is enormous? Well, Trey Trainer, 
who is head of the Federal Elections Commission, the FEC, said in a tweet on Tuesday that if that's what Sidney Powell says, he believes her. And so, my friends, do I. In fact, the evidence has been so damning that last year, Democrat Senators Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, and Ron Wyden from Oregon, as well as other Democrat politicians who were looking into three of the voting companies that we've been talking about, and the senators were specifically concerned about the security of the voting systems. In a letter which they wrote to these companies, they said, quote, We have concerns about the election technology industry, an integral part of our nation's democratic process. These problems threaten the integrity of our elections and demonstrate the importance of election systems that are strong, durable, and not vulnerable to attack. Unquote. Former White House Cybersecurity Coordinator Michael Daniel asked this, quote, How can a vendor sell a voting system with this many vulnerabilities? Unquote. Well, <laughs> the answer is simple. It's not a mistake. It's not an oversight. It's intentional. And I'll bet it's also criminal. The voting systems that are being used in the states all around the country are corrupt by design. And it seems clear, although I have no proof of this, that the Democrats are complicit in this, or else they, like the Republicans, would want to get to the bottom of it. And by the way, Dominion is known to have connections with the Clintons and with Nancy Pelosi and with Dianne Feinstein. Just saying. Now, these codes were carefully designed to do just what they did in this election. They changed votes. They added votes. And I'd venture to guess that they destroyed votes as well. In fact, it seems pretty clear, at least from where I sit, that they have compromised every aspect of the American concept of free and fair elections. They destroyed the presidential election of 2020. And the people who are going to suffer most are the American people. So even though the Democrats and the press that lionizes them are firmly together in saying there was no fraud, nothing to see here, move on, the fact is that this election is far from over. But they have already called this election for Joe Biden, even though ballots are still being counted in a number of states. And the outcome, the outcome is still unclear. The Democrats are firmly together in saying there was no fraud, the election is over, and the winner is Joe Biden, period. When in reality, the counting and the recounting and the filing of lawsuits against the false and fraudulent results continues, so the outcome is still unclear. The president has not conceded, and he should not concede, not until the last legal vote has been counted and the final results have been certified. And then, and only then, when it is clear, officially, who actually won the election, then, and only then, should one of the two candidates concede. And it may be that, in the end, Joe Biden will have won. But given all that we know now, if our democratic system of justice works, if it really works, that is not how this will all end up. 
and President Trump will have another four years to complete the job that he started in 2017. The corruption is too deep and too obvious to prevail. I could be wrong. Those people who hate the president with such a passion may still prevail, even if the corruption is exposed, because the mainstream press will refuse to cover the controversy. The riots in the streets will spread the hate, and the liberal and socialist politicians won't care about the truth so long as they win and hold on to their power. It's a cynical view, I know, and frankly, it's depressing. But I'm going to hold on to the belief in this country and in the system of justice that our founding fathers created. I'm hoping for justice and another four years for the man that the American people really elected. Now, there are quite a lot of interesting stories coming out of the current controversies that are plaguing our country these days. So after the break, which is coming up any moment, I will share a few of them with you. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's HealthyCell.com sleep. You know, when I began to air the Friedman Report, I started the program by saying something like this. Life is a series of never-ending stories, and my job, as I see it, is to tell these stories within the context of our lives and try to make sense of the world that we live in. So here are a few stories of the times, some happy, some funny, some frankly unbelievable, and some just sad. Here's the first story. On Tuesday, we learned that Senator Chuck Grassley, senior senator from Iowa, was just diagnosed with the China virus. Grassley is 87 years old, and one would think that he might have, maybe should have, retired a long time ago. But Chuck Grassley is probably the hardest working senator in Washington. For one thing, he's president pro tem of the Senate and third in line for the presidency after Speaker of the House. But on Tuesday, November 17th, Grassley missed his first vote in 27 years and marks his voting record as having cast 8,927 consecutive votes on behalf of the people of Iowa. Nobody else has even come close. Two other things that Grassley is now well known for are that every year he visits every one of Iowa's 99 counties to speak to his constituents. And in Iowa, that has become known as doing the full Grassley. He's really a remarkable man. At the age of 87, the second thing that makes him unique, by the way, is that every week, four mornings a week, 
for the last 22 years, Chuck Grassley takes a three-mile run, rain or shine. He may be a bit slower now, but at 87, he still runs that three miles. Now, perhaps, probably, he'll have to stop for a bit until he recovers. Grassley says he feels fine, but he is quarantining until the doctors say it's okay to go back to work. Chuck Grassley is my hero. His mind is sharp. He loves his job and the people of Iowa. I wish everybody in Congress had that work ethic and that love for his constituents. Thoughts and prayers are with him for a speedy recovery and a quick return to what he loves best. Godspeed, Senator. Now, here's a story that brings us back to the election fraud. You think I'm kidding? Just listen to this. This guy, who says his name is Kyle Foxton, who lives in Detroit, got himself into very hot water when he told all of his friends on Facebook that he and his fellow Democrat poll workers had thrown out every Republican ballot they came across. He said they had thrown out, quote, tens of thousands, unquote, of ballots. His post began, time to come clean. I work for Wayne County, Michigan, and I threw out every Trump ballot I saw, tens of thousands of them, and so did my co-workers, unquote. He continued his post saying, I regret nothing. Nice. Except he broke federal law, and I expect he may have to pay the piper for his stupidity, first in throwing out the ballots and second in talking about it in public. He later recanted, and he tried to say that uh, it was a joke, that he never worked as a vote counter. Then he closed two of his three Facebook accounts. Some joke. Should we have believed your first or second post, Kyle? If you didn't do it, you were an idiot for saying you did. And if you did it, you were an idiot for <laughs> saying you did, because you might go to federal prison for it, and that's okay with me. Either way, Kyle, you're a jerk. That kind of disrespect for the American electoral system is a disgrace and totally unacceptable on every level. And the Democrats say there is no voter fraud? Ha! And here's another one. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is going up against Mark Zuckerberg for not censoring conservative posts on Facebook, posts that she claimed contains misinformation. That misinformation that she's referring to is the conservative content that she doesn't agree with. Didn't she swear on a Bible to uphold the Constitution? And isn't the First Amendment the one that guarantees freedom of expression? Isn't that part of the Constitution that she swore to uphold? Now, no short story would be complete without a story about AOC. Oh, I'm sorry. She says that her nickname is reserved just for her friends. Really? Well, too bad, AOC. I'm certainly not your friend. But AOC is so much easier to say than Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. So suck it up, AOC. Anyway, you know, of course, that there will be two runoff elections in Georgia on January 5th. And the outcome of these elections will decide which party has a majority in the U.S. Senate. So tens of millions of dollars are flowing into the four campaigns to pay for a marathon 
of political advertising. So why two runoffs? Isn't that a bit unusual? Well, there doesn't seem to be much in this election cycle that is ordinary. So let's talk for a minute about Georgia. Remember, Georgia is the state where Democrat Stacey Abrams lost her bid for governor in 2018 and refused to concede even though she lost by nearly 55,000 votes. She refused because she said that, quote, concession means to say that the process is fair, unquote. But she claimed that 50,000 people had called to say that they were denied the right to vote. And therefore, she concluded that the process was not fair, and therefore, she would not concede the election. And she never did. Now, there are two U.S. Senate seats open, and four candidates are vying for them. The reason that there is a runoff election is that according to Georgia law, the winner of an election must get at least 50% of the vote, and none of the candidates received a majority of the votes in the November election, so they are all headed for the runoffs. As a matter of note, Democrats have won only one in seven statewide runoffs in general or special elections, not since 1992. Well, now getting back to AOC, you thought I forgot her, didn't you? But I didn't. It seems that she wants to go down to Georgia because, as she says, well, I'm going to be spending my next couple of months doing everything I can to extend help and offer support to the work of the fantastic leaders that we have just heard from, like Stacey Abrams, to make sure that we don't have a Republican Senate majority, that we win these races in Georgia, that we secure a Democratic Senate majority so that we don't have to negotiate in that way. Unquote. She doesn't want to negotiate. What the heck is she doing in Congress? Well, never mind. According to some reports, the Democrats are nervous and they don't want her to go. They're afraid that she will be pushing her radical socialist agenda in a state where even the Democrats are relatively conservative, which is to say traditional. They're not likely to buy her socialist ideas or her Green New Deal. Try telling her that. She's offered to help fellow candidates before, but complains that, quote, every single member that rejected my help is losing, and now they're blaming us for the loss. Right. Now she's ready to jump back in because it seems that she thinks that no one knows as much about winning as she does. So the Democrats are, according to some reports, in a panic because these two races are critical. The Republican candidates, on the other hand, are probably thrilled. The longer AOC stays in Georgia, the better it is for them. You just can't make this stuff up. And here's another story. This one's about our politicians and pundits who are free with advice, but don't bother to follow their own rules. Nancy Pelosi. She was fierce about Californians following her advice about COVID-19 restrictions. After her first blunder, when she invited everyone to join her in Chinatown after the virus broke and nobody was wearing a mask, she later insisted that fellow Californians needed to lock down, mask up, and social distance. She even wore designer face masks to match her clothes and show her sincerity. It was usually around her neck, but never mind. Only after insisting that small businesses shut down, leaving many hardworking people to flounder when they couldn't pay their bills or feed their children, Nancy Pelosi herself had no issues about having a shutdown salon open up specially for her so she could have her hair blown out. And she was seen on video 
walking around in the shuttered salon without a face mask. It was apparently okay for others to pay the price for her demands, but she didn't need to. The owner of the salon was a single mother who had built her business to a level of success until this pandemic broke. The last report that I heard, she had to close her business entirely after Pelosi's visit, and she had to move out of the state. Did Pelosi try to help her? (laughs) No, she blamed her for setting her up and demanded an apology. She's a piece of work, my friends, and you just can't make this stuff up. And here's another politician with a sterling character, California's Governor Newsom. He also demanded that the entire state lock down, and he urged Californians to avoid large groups and social gatherings, especially now as the holiday season is getting closer. But just last week, it was okay for him to get together with 11 of his best friends for a birthday party at a very posh California restaurant called French Laundry. And when I say posh, that's exactly what I mean. A meal there starts at about $350, and that's without the wine or the appetizer or the dessert. So it's okay for Newsom and the other elite, but not for the rest of us. Oh, no. And then there was Governor Andrew Cuomo, another one of my favorite hypocrites. When the pandemic first broke, he demanded 40,000 ventilators that he insisted he would need to handle the massive patient load. And after Trump sent him 4,000, it turned out that New York had several thousand unused ventilators in storage. Then Trump sent him the world's largest hospital ship, fully equipped and staffed with a thousand beds into New York Harbor. And Trump also retrofitted the Javits Center in Midtown Manhattan with a fully equipped 2,500-bed hospital. Cuomo openly praised the president for all of his help. But then he became embroiled in a scandal when he wrote an executive order requiring active COVID-19 patients to return to nursing homes where the elderly and the most vulnerable lived. When the management of the homes begged for the patients to be sent instead to the hospital ship or the Javits Center, which was empty, by the way, they were refused, and they were told that such patients could only be sent to those facilities from hospitals, and they ordered the nursing homes to accept them. As a result, thousands of elderly and disabled patients died from the virus. And Cuomo denied even knowing about the order, even though he signed it. Then he did a 180-degree turn and blasted the president for, quote, doing nothing to help New York. And by the way, both the ship and the Javits Center were decommissioned because they remained virtually empty during the height of the crisis. Now Cuomo has a new game. The president announced that two companies were in human trials of two COVID-19 vaccines and that they would begin to be available by the end of the year. Cuomo made a big statement about that. He called the president's distribution plan flawed and announced this, quote, we can't let this vaccination plan go forward the way that Trump and his administration is designing it, unquote. Cuomo called Trump's plan discriminatory, 
can't figure that one out, but never mind. And so he said he would enlist his own panel of experts to review any vaccine that had been approved by the federal government. The sheer idiocy of that should be obvious. The FDA and the CDC are the regulatory agencies that approve the distribution of drugs, and if they approve it, no further review or study should be necessary. Moreover, the need for the vaccine is beyond urgent, and Cuomo's stubbornness could, once again, cost many lives. Now, in response to the governor's refusal to accept the vaccine, the president said he would move New York to the back of the line. So now, Cuomo who just refused to take the vaccine when it's available, is now threatening to sue the Trump administration because, he says, I'll tell you today, if the Trump administration does not change his plan and does not provide an equitable vaccine process, we will bring legal action to protect New Yorkers. I'm not going to allow New Yorkers to be bullied or abused. (laughs) Unquote. I have long been convinced that Cuomo was losing it altogether. He hasn't made sense for a long time, but he is in a position of considerable power, which he uses in erratic and deadly ways. You just can't make this stuff up. Now, before we run out of time, I want to say a few words about the times we live in. If you've been listening to the Friedman Report, if you follow the various news stories that I bring to you each week, and the analyses that I often share with you, You'll know that I love this country with all my heart. I have so much respect for the structure of America that our founding fathers, in all their wisdom, created out of thin air. It was a new idea, not a government like the others, where the people were subject to the firm hand of their rulers, but where those who governed were chosen by the people and responsible to the people who elected them. And that country that evolved from those earliest days the people who became pioneers and merchants, teachers, doctors, and scholars. They also grew in humanity, abolished slavery, gave the vote to women, delivered civil rights in law to all people, and became a nation that was a light to the world, offering freedom and opportunity in a society that guaranteed freedom of speech, of religion, of assembly, and the God-given right to life liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. When I was a child, my heroes were people like George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and even Jackie Robinson. I was a child who didn't worship the highly paid athletes and Hollywood stars who disrespected our flag and our country, but I respected the people who built this country and made it better. Today, that country that I love and respect so much is in danger of being destroyed from within. And yet we face the possibility of radical change to a system that has never succeeded. How we got here is a long story, but where we go next may be a very short walk and a dangerous one. The massive fraud of the last election may spell the end of free and fair elections in America forever. And the time may come when I can no longer write freely what I believe or what I think or what I know. So I pray for the soul of America to keep this country safe and free from the ideologies that would destroy everything that is good here. And I will fight for what I believe is right, for the preservation of our Constitution that keeps us free and safe, and for our President 
who has led us tirelessly and protected our freedom and bettered our lives. Thank you for spending this hour with me. You've been listening to the news magazine on the America Out Loud Network. I'm Alana Friedman, and this has been The Friedman Report.